Now, <clears throat> one of the things that you need to understand is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each have a different focus. <clears throat> that becomes important because if you understand the focus of the Gospel, you will understand things that are addressed in the Gospel. For instance, the Gospel of Matthew is written to present Jesus Christ as king. So you see a lot of references to David in Matthew. You see a lot of references to king kind of stuff. Hence, in the story this morning, we're going to talk about that as the main focus. In the book of Mark, it presents Jesus as a servant. <clears throat> so in the life of a servant, uh, it, it's really quick, it's really short, it's really to the point, it's boom, 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 boom. It's the shortest of the gospel. Luke presents, Luke was a doctor, so he presents Jesus really as the perfect man, the son of man. So in the book of Luke, you see a lot of the miracles in reference to physical things. You see a lot of uh, focuses on Christ, his humanity, if you will. Consequently, <clears throat> the, so just think about what I've already said. If Matthew is going to talk about Jesus as king, his genealogy is really important. And his lineage is very, very important. So in the book of Matthew, the first chapter is all about his genealogy and his deity. <clears throat> the second chapter, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning, is about the threat to the king and, and how that all plays out. Uh, Mark, he's a servant. Nobody cares when a servant's born. A servant's job is to serve. So we don't have any account of the birth of Jesus Christ in the book of Mark. Luke, he is the man. He is a, the perfect man. So how he was born and the circumstances around his birth are very, very important. So the most detailed description of the birth of Christ is in Luke chapter 2 when we have that detailed thing of Mary and Joseph and the whole thing. Why? Because that's important. That's important. And then John, which technically does not talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, but John presents Jesus as the Son of God. So John starts out with, in the beginning was the Word. John says, basically, God has always existed. So John presents him as, as God. <clears throat> that helps us to understand where we're going today because in this story that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is presented as king. So as a king, his lineage is given in, in Matthew chapter 1, going all the way back through David and everything else, showing that he has a right to the throne, right? When we get to Matthew chapter 2, it's the story of the wise men, and it's the story of Herod, and it's the story of the threat to the kingdom. So let me give you some insight into some of the players. <clears throat> One of the big players is Herod. Herod is a fascinating study uh, in history. Uh, if you've ever, uh, if you like Roman history and things like that, this is a guy to really spend some time on. <clears throat> Basically, here's what happens. Herod uh, becomes the king of this area, Judea, right? Uh, in, in 40 BC or so, the Roman Senate and the leaders actually proclaimed Herod king of the Jews. So they had proclaimed Herod the king for the Jews. Herod was a, uh, he, he had a very difficult uh, transition to make. Here's why. He was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. So that meant that Jews were not going to accept him. They didn't want, first of all, they didn't like Rome, and they really didn't like a king. And if they were going to have a king, he better be Jewish. And since Rome wouldn't appoint a Jewish king, and Herod was an Edomite, that caused a lot of problems. So Herod automatically, just because of his genealogy, wasn't liked. So Herod does a number of things to try to be liked. 
Uh, one of the things that he does is he uh, does a tremendous amount of building. Uh, he builds uh, the Caesarea uh, and names it after Caesar, actually, a uh, port there. I've been there. It's a fascinating place. Uh, beautiful theater. He builds theaters. He builds racetracks. Uh, he goes and uh, to appease the Jews, he rebuilds the temple and works with them to do it. Uh, outside of Jerusalem, he builds this incredible tower. Uh, south of there, south of, in the Dead Sea area, he builds Masada, which uh, was, when I went to Israel, the two places that probably impressed me the most were Masada and the Dead Sea. I think the Dead Sea is one of the most awesome things in the world. Uh, I just, uh, I got to swim in it. Well, you don't swim in it, you float in it. Because uh, actually, if you get it in your eyes, you go to the hospital. If you get, if you get the water in your eyes, you go to the hospital. That's, that's the way it is. It, the, the mineral contact is that, is, is that high. Uh, Masada was incredibly impressive, built by Herod. The, uh, so the entire, so what, and in fact, history says that at one point, when poverty reached the people, Herod actually went and melted down gold from the, from the um, palace area to make sure the people got fed. So there were some really great things this guy did. But the guy was as paranoid as they come. Uh, this guy looked at everything as a threat to the kingdom. When you go through the, in fact, Caesar said of Herod that it would be better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because Herod actually, in, in his history of things, he, uh, for, first of all, in order to appease the Jews, he marries a gal who has a, her family ties her to the priesthood. All right? And actually, at one point, Herod drowns his wife's brother, who was the high priest. At one point, he murders his wife. He murders his two sons because he thought they were threatening his kingdom. He, has a, he actually then ends up later murdering a third son. He uh, murders his mother-in-law, which, you know, we can, you know. Um, no, I mean, nah, you know, you know, most of the things you can't relate to, but that's the, old, that's the one that you're going, eh, okay, I give or take that. But no, anytime, any, <laughs> all you mother-in-law, you'll get over it. All, all, any t- anything that was a threat to the kingdom, he, he put a squash to it right away. So the people kind of lived in this terror of was he, what, who was going to show up that day, good Herod or bad Herod? You know, paranoid Herod or the Herod who wants to help us and try to make us happy? So they never knew. So, so the whole area was always in this kind of uh, no security and knowing what was going to happen next. Because this guy was a really, he's kind of a lunatic. He could just go off the deep end kind of stuff. So you have Herod in this story, and then you have the Magi. The Magi uh, that we're going to read about, that you know them as three. Historically, a lot of people believe that, uh, a lot of uh, historical Bible people believe there were as many as 12. Okay. Uh, we think there's three because they bring three gifts, so we assume that there's three Magi, but that's not what the text says. So we don't know how many there were. By 6th century, the uh, church as a whole has given them names. So you may have heard, depending on your faith tradition, uh, here, okay, i got to look up the names because I, I can't remember the guy. Melchon, uh, Balthazar, and Gasper. Uh, so by that point, uh, you know, there's, uh, we, we'd assume the three gifts, three guys, but realistically there were probably more. I'll show you why when we get to the tech. That doesn't mean you have to go home and tear apart your manger scene or go add nine more guys, all right? 
just leave it as it is because the manger, I mean, we got one up here, you know, and it's cute, and it's, Kimmy did a really nice job of doing it. We got three people, and we got Jesus in the in a manger deal, but you're going to see this morning, by the time the wise men get there, Jesus is in a house. He's not in a manger anymore. He's probably one to one and a half years old. Uh, Jesus, at this point, uh, Jesus uh, is, uh, Herod is going to, uh, basically die by uh, about about 4 B.C. Uh, we believe Jesus is born about 6 B.C. We can get in all the calendar thing if you want to some other time. But uh, so he's going to die about two years after Christ is born, and, and so time-wise that's how things kind of fit in here. So when they show up, Jesus has already been circumcised, They've already, which means he's at least eight days old, and then he's going to, uh, they've already offered an offering for him. And it's interesting, the offering that Mary and Joseph offer is two turtle doves. That becomes significant because what that tells us about Mary and Joseph is they didn't have any money. Because the only acceptable people who were allowed to offer an offering of two turtle doves were people who were the poorest of the poor. Everybody else offered a lamb. And uh, so we, we know that about them at this point. Uh, because Herod has, and we're going to look at this story next week, because Herod has all of the children under two executed. Uh, we know that Jesus probably somewhere around that, that, that age thing. So with that in mind, let's read the story. We'll walk through it, and we'll try to pick up some things for us as we go. So here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. All right, let's, I'm just going to walk. I'm going to stop as we go through it and bring out some things, and then we'll apply it all at the end. Uh, notice a couple things. First of all, they, they're coming from the east. Uh, a lot of people believe that these were actually guys that were from, like, the Persian area. And there's kind of two realms of thought. One is that they were already in this area, and they got pushed aside, and then they're coming back. Another thought, and the one I kind of like is, these are probably guys who their, their, their relatives go all the way back to Daniel uh, in, in Persia with the Medes and the Persians and that kind of thing, and that Christianity had had some influence or, or, or the Jewish religion had had some influence along the way. Apparently, these people worshipped God because they were willing to leave their country and follow a star. Now, notice that it says... Uh, they, they come into Jerusalem and ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? So this group of people come walking into Jerusalem, and they want to know, hey, we've heard that the king of the Jews has been born. We want to know where he is. Now remember what I told you about Herod. So when a large group, and by the way, it would have been a large group, because if you'll notice, the next passage says, uh, when, when King Herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him so we're not talking about a small little group walking into town we're talking about a fairly large entourage the only reason the whole city is going to get upset is if this is a big event so think about it you know if you have if you ever been around a political deal where where somebody big has come into town uh you you know what i'm talking about uh, i was it was involved in the thing when Bush came in. And, and I'll never forget, I mean, the entourage that came with him is just amazing. Okay? That's kind of what we're talking about. This entourage is following these guys. 
And they all come into Jerusalem, and they go, where's king of Jews? And everybody's going, oh, <laughs> let's back this up, okay? You don't talk about kings around here. Because we got a looney tune up there, and we don't know what he's going to do. So you just need to hush. Now everybody's thinking, okay, bad Herod's going to show up. And so everybody in the city, and Herod, who has already been proclaimed 40 B.C. king of the Jews, now all of a sudden a, and here's the key, a Gentile group is in Jerusalem looking for a king. And people are getting really nervous. And then notice what the story says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the chiefs, chief priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where Christ was to be born. So at this point, the story does not say the, the Magi are talking to Herod. All it says is that, that they came into town, everybody's disturbed, everybody's upset. Herod then goes and gathers all the chief priests and scribes together and says, okay, guys, look, they're talking about this, and, and tell me about this. Tell me what the Bible says. It's basically what he's asking. Tell me what the Bible says about this. Here's what I think is amazing. They didn't even have to go back and look it up. They knew right away. They knew exactly what the Bible taught. My, by the way, it's in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. They knew exactly what the Bible says. And look what they said. In Bethlehem of Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem and land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, and he will be a shepherd of my people Israel. So Herod calls all of the, all of the religious teachers and scholars and everybody together and says, hey, okay, these guys are here. They say there's a king. Where is he? Where is he going to be born? Tell me what you know. Oh, that's easy. Micah 5.2, Bethlehem. So now all of a sudden it's like, wow, okay. Then Herod calls the Magi secretly. So now he grabs these guys together, and he says, um, he found out from them exact time the star appeared. Tell me when you saw this star. Tell me what, what, what the deal is with this star thing. Because the Bible didn't say anything about that. And they told him, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, because I want to go worship him too. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think so. Not, not, not in your, not in your uh, vocabulary here. Notice what happens next. You know the story. It goes on to say, are we stopped? Okay, there we go. After they heard the king, they went their way. Now notice this. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Um... I have wrestled with this all week because this, uh, I mean, out of all my years of being a Christian, this is the first time I figured this thing out. Bethlehem is five miles from Jerusalem. Okay? The way the story reads is that up until now, the star, we get the, the, the idea that it was fixed. And notice, now, now I want you to think about it. You've seen a star. If I told you to follow that star, where would you end up? So see, my idea of the star thing has always been like stars in the sky stars. But this was able to lead them to Jerusalem, and it apparently always was over Jerusalem, and they followed it till they got to Jerusalem, and then they didn't know what to do. So they go into town and start asking questions, 
And notice, I don't read anywhere in the text where they are told from Herod, it's in Bethlehem. Have you thought this through? Okay, because Herod asked the scribes and the priests, hey, where is this Bethlehem? Then he calls in the Magi and asks them about what time the star appeared. And these guys leave not knowing, I think, not knowing where to go. And when they get out, what happens to the star? It moves. And it moves where? It's easy. Bethlehem. Yeah, Bethlehem. Now think about it for a minute. A star showing you someplace five miles away. You know, it ain't like a star you and I are thinking about. This has got to be something that was incredibly specific to be able to lead me five miles outside the city to the place where Jesus is staying. Some Bible scholars, and this is, my, this is what I like to embrace now. I'm not going to die on this principle, so, you know. But believe this was much like the pillar of fire that leads the children of Israel through the wilderness that when they get out this star whatever it is changes and is a, is a kind of star that leads them specifically to a place five miles away and then notice what it says and they were overjoyed when they saw the star and coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary they bowed down and worshipped him and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Gold, um, representing the idea of his kingship. Frankincense is one of the spices that was required in grain offerings in the Old Testament, representing his deity. And then uh, the last one, uh, myrrh, which was used to embalm bodies, representing the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, some of you who are longtime Bible students, here's a fun study. Isaiah chapter 60. In Isaiah chapter 60, it talks about the second coming, when God comes back the second time. And one of the things that it says is, they will bring to him two gifts. Gold, king of kings, frankincense, lord of lords. No myrrh. In his first coming, he was coming to die for us. In his second coming, he's coming as king of kings and, and lord of lords. They only bring two gifts at that time. Fun little study. Go do it sometime. All right, here we go. Keep going. And myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. So now, after they do this, they go home. And they, they, they cut out and head back to their, 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 their country. Whatever. Uh, a lot of, lot of principles in here, a lot of things that I think we can learn. Let me pull out a couple for us today. First thing. Um, one of the things I think you see in this story is the way that God directs and the way that God provides. See, you and I, here's how we think God should do it. We think that if something happens in our lives that um, we should be able to get the answer and go from point A to point B. We think if we're struggling with something that 
we ought, God just ought to get us like, God, we want the answers from God now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to get stuck. We don't want to have some journey thing. We want the answers now. We're very, very impatient with God. But what did these wise men do? They got up in the east. They see this star. For some reason, God impressed upon them to go and worship this child. And they get up and they follow the star as far as they can. And then what happens? They stop. They don't know where to go now. They don't know what to do. And they're stuck. And it would seem, if you're a wise, think about this for a minute from the perspective of a wise man. If you have walked all this way, and you get to this star, and you go, okay, where is he, this king of the Jews? This is Jerusalem. He should probably be here. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And they go, you don't know. Now what do you do? So I think when these guys come walking out of this place, after meeting with, with, with Herod, thinking, okay, he's got an answer. Nobody's got an answer for him. They don't, they, they're literally, they're standing outside Jerusalem going, where are we going to do next? And then they watch the star move. So when this text says they were exceedingly glad for the star, yeah. It's like, good, we know where to go now. We know what to do now. And so what do they do? They then go the rest of the way to Bethlehem. Now, here's a question. Why didn't God, just simply from day one, move the star all the way along to land over top of Bethlehem? Hey, they were coming to worship. They wanted to do the right thing. They were going to give these gifts. Why didn't God do that? That would have been the best thing to do. Here's a principle. Because through their journey, God needed to do something in Bethlehem and in, in Jerusalem. You catch it? In other words, had they gone from the east to Bethlehem, nobody would have known. But God said, No, 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 no. I need to do something. I need the people in Jerusalem to know that a Savior's been born. I need them to know there's a new king in town. And you know what? I'm going to use these Gentile wise men on this journey to be able to accomplish something that I need done. These guys had a passion. They wanted to follow God, and they wanted to honor God and worship God. And so God said, look, I need you to, I'm going to take you this far and stop you for a little while because i got something to do. And then once I accomplish what I need to accomplish, we're going to move on, and I'll get you to Bethlehem. The reason they stopped in Jerusalem was not because of them. It was because God needed to use them to reach somebody else. Do you get that? Because some of you right now are frustrated because you want God to take you from A to Z. And God's taking you from A to M, and you stopped. And you're stuck. And you're trying to figure out, what do I do next? Because God wants to do something, maybe in your life, but probably, more importantly, in the lives of whoever it is that's involved at Stop M. And when God's done at Stop M, then he'll take you the next step of the journey. And I think there's a great lesson in here for us because we don't get this sometimes. We want God to go from A to Z. You know, okay, God, you know, I've prayed about this. i prayed about this for a whole year and nothing's happened. What are you doing, God? Why are we here? I'm sure the wise men could have felt the same way. Why are we here in Jerusalem? We're asking questions, nobody's answering it. You know, 
The stop in the journey may not be for you. It may be for the people around you. So the stop's okay. It's okay because God was able to make a statement there in Jerusalem that, you know what, there's a Savior to be born. There's a new king in town. And I want you to be aware of it. Second thing here is you see God's provision in here. Mary and Joseph, like I said earlier, were incredibly poor. They offered two turtle jobs. Mary and Joseph have no idea what's going to happen next in the life of Mary and Joseph. You know the story. Tell me what's going to happen next. Huh? They're going to have to go to Egypt. They're going to have to flee to a foreign country. So if I looked at you today and said, look, I need you to be in Papua New Guinea tomorrow. Yeah, some of you are like me. You'd like, yes. Uh, no, uh, but I mean, I need you to be in Papua New Guinea tomorrow. The first thing you're going to start thinking about is all the reasons you can't go. And then, some, then all of a sudden, at some point, you're going to realize that it's going to cost you about four grand to get there. And the next issue is going to be, well, how am I going to get the money? God already knew that was going to be an issue. So three guys show up with gold. So now, when God comes to Mary and Joseph and says, hey, I need you to go to Egypt, God's already provided. In fact, God provided before he even asked them to go. Because that's who God is. And here's the thing. Think about it for a minute from the perspective of the wise men. What if they did what if they said back and said, No, I'm not going to do that? See, God used them in order to touch and help Mary and Joseph and what Mary and Joseph were going to have to do in order for Jesus to stay alive, in order for us to have a Savior. He used a bunch of Gentile wise men. God can use anybody. And my question is, I wonder how many times we miss something because God impresses upon our heart to do something, and we don't do it for whatever reason. And we miss out. It might be something huge. God might be asking you, I don't know, God might be asking you to adopt a child from a third world country. I don't know. And he might just simply be asking you to send an email to somebody this week. Both have the opportunity to change a life. Just don't realize it. And so my, my challenge is, you know, God used these guys to provide for Mary and Joseph, and, and, and God wants to use us to provide for the needs of other people. And however that is, God's put that person in your path for a reason. And that is one of the challenges for us to realize that. I think the other lesson from this story, not only do you see God's, God's direction and you see God's provision, I think another thing that you see in this story is the reaction that you see to Jesus. The, why, or the reaction to God. The, the wise men, they're all in. Their heart is there. They leave their country. They take a long journey. They search out this child. They get to this child, and they worship him. And they bring him gifts, which, by the way, was an act of honor. And, and they honor and worship this child. They follow God every step of the way. God says, I want you to stop here. They stop there. God says, I want you to, the stars move and get going. They get going. God says, look, I want you to... to Give them gifts. The issue is, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll haul as much gold out there as we can. We'll haul as much frankincense as we can carry. We're there to, to, to worship. 
They're all in. The scribes and the Pharisees, here's the thing that amazes me. They knew what the Scripture said. For them, it's all in their head. They don't have a heart knowledge of what's going to happen. They don't really don't care about it. It's like, I mean, think about it for a minute. Gentile people have come in with this story that we followed a star because the king, the savior is born, and, they come, and, the, and Herod comes to him and goes, hey, look, we got these clowns in town. They're saying that there's new king born, that he's king of the Jews. Tell me what you know about it. Ah, easy. Hey, he's over in Bethlehem. And they do what? Nothing. It's all head. And you've heard me say over and over again, God's, the purpose of God's word is not to, to give us fat heads. It's to give us soft hearts. And, and, and I love it when you know the scriptures. But if you know the scriptures and you're not obeying or living the scriptures, you, all you're doing is getting yourself fathead. The word of God is written to change our life, not to be able to run around talking about how much Bible knowledge we got. It's, a, it's, it's to make a difference in the way we live. And it didn't with the scribes and the Pharisees. And then think about this. You have people in Jerusalem and you have people in Bethlehem who see a star and ignore it. I mean, think about it. Like I say, this star had to be incredible because it leads them to a city. So I want you to think about it. Again, you know, wrestle with this for a second. What kind of light would have to lead you to distinguish between going to Holly Springs and Climbing Hill? Five miles, that's the distance. So this had to be something that was noticeable. Can you imagine being in Bethlehem going, hey, that's odd. Pull the blinds. A little bright for me. I don't like sleeping with lights on. Can you, I mean, can you imagine that? And yet, it made no difference. And, and by the way, now we got like a whole... This, yeah, it's like the, reminds me of the Muppet show with the two guys up in the balcony. Uh, but seriously, you know what? Look, you're going to see the same response this Christmas. You're going to have people that are all in, they're all about Jesus and what he's done and what the season's about. You're going to have people that have a head knowledge of it, but it's not in their heart. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 we know about Christmas. Yeah, we know the Christmas story. Yeah, 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 that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, uh, okay, well, boom, that's it. And you're going to people that see all this stuff and don't have a clue. And don't have a clue at all. You know, and they just keep going on and on with their life. The same kind of people are here this morning. There's some of you. You're just going to go on and on with your life. It's no big deal. It's just kind of, okay, it's Christmas. Put up the decorations. Take them down. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's a, a very slim part of who's here this morning. There's not a group here this morning. You know what? You know all the stories. You know all the stuff. You can quote the verses. But it's never become real. It's never become in here. And there's some of you, you're like the wise men. You're all in. I'm not saying you got it all together. I'm saying you're working on it. You're, you're trying to study and you're trying to learn the Word of God and you're trying to live it out and you're trying to be different and you're trying to make, let the Word of God make a difference in your life. Great. And some of you get a little frustrated because God's got you stuck right now at a spot. And you want to go to, and God's going, no, 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 i got some things to do here. 
And just be patient, be faithful, stick in there with it. Let God do what he wants to do. And some of you are sitting here, you're all worried about how God's going to provide and whether God's going to take care of this. And da, da, da. I don't know how many times my wife and I have had the discussion in our, life, in our marriage about when we come up against something and we don't know what the end is. You know, for those of you know, you know, that's kind of what we're going through right now, where we are in our life, where we're not sure what the next journey is. And we know it can go one of two ways for us. And it's like, but you know what? It's like we always come back to this. In our entire life, we always come back to this principle. God is always taking care of us. He has no reason to stop now. Do I know what's around the corner? Do you know what's around the corner? No, we got no clue. But you know what? God's always taking care of us. God's always met our needs. God's always done that stuff. So you know what? We trust him and we keep going forward. And if he stops us for a while and we're stuck at Jerusalem right now wanting to know what's next like the wise guys were, okay. I knew I was going to say that. You know, I tried. I've worked all message not to call him that. Um, but I knew at some point I was going to. And they didn't want to call him that. The wise men. The wise men. They were. They were the wise guys in a good way. Uh, and I've lost everybody. All right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I don't want to go there. So, anyway, I didn't see that. So, anyway, anyway, uh, that's not my show. But, anyway, okay, back to reality here, all right? Look, I don't, know where, I don't know where you are in that journey. I pray that you're not one of those people who's missing it altogether. And I, I, I'm thrilled that you're studying it and that you're learning it, but if it just stays in your head and never gets to your heart, as nicely as I can say this, you're wasting your time. And for each of us, the prayer, my prayer, the reason I do this every week, the reason I'm passionate about ministry is because my goal is for each of us to take it, learn it, embrace it, and live it. That's the only... Look, we can, we can have the debates all day long out, out, out in the community. But you cannot argue the power of a changed life. You can't. And they've got to see it before they're going to believe it. And that's why it's so important that we do that. And we do that well. And for those of you who are in that journey and you're doing that, and you, you come to a place where you're just stuck, and it's like that star sticking over top of Jerusalem, you don't just hang in there. Right? When God finishes with you that spot, He will move you on. As long as you stay sensitive to Him, He'll, he'll lead you where He wants you to go. We get all hung up about everything down the line. You know, just, just let God use you where you are. And as you were wondering, you know, is God going to take care of us? Is God? Yes. Didn't say it's going to be easy. Didn't say the road was all going to be smooth. But God will take care of you. Because he's your heavenly father. And any heavenly father, any father who's being a father, cares about what's best for his kids. So don't give up. My prayer, I end it with this. My benediction, my prayer for you this week is this. This story reminds me of the importance of responding to God when he directs and leads. The result of obedience is God provides and he knows what's best. His timing and ways are not mine. So trust him. Follow him wholeheartedly this season. Let's pray. Lord, use it in our lives. Help us to apply it. For some this morning, Father, uh, they're just missing the whole thing altogether. So you need to work in your heart, in their hearts as, as only you can. 
For others, Lord, they got a head knowledge of it, but it's never become real. It's never become personal. It never made that transition. So, Lord, help them to do that. Help them to see the importance of this is something about that affects our lives, not just our knowledge. And for those who are trying to follow you with your whole heart, and Lord, there may be a point in their life where, where they're stuck and, and things aren't, they're not getting the answers they need. Lord, would you help them to trust you? To just understand that you're still at work. But Lord, you might be working in the lives of other people through their journey. And Lord, for each of us, may we trust daily in the fact that you provide. You know what's best. You'll take care of us. It'll be okay. And we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name.